Well, hello, listeners. How are you today? And welcome to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Today is going to be a fabulous conversation. And I know I say that every time, but I really want this is this before we get into it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to bookmark this in your uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast now. And particularly if you're in Apple, could you leave a review for this and the other podcasts in here? Because I think that there are some podcasts and some conversations are just, that are just remarkable. And I'd like to think all of them are, but I think you're going to be in for a very, very special treat. My guest is Fern Weaver. She is the CEO of Uncle Nearest. And she's going to talk to us about her origin story and how she navigated through um, becoming the person that she is today. And maybe she'll pull back the sheet a little bit to tell us from her legacy that she's built, where does she think she's going to go? So with that, I want you to join me in a warm welcome to sit back, relax. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, let's start with, you know, one of my favorite questions. Tell us something that was about you or your life that would shock people. That would shock people. I, I think that uh, what would shock people. I, I don't know it would shock people because I think that almost when you hear about most successful CEOs, most of us got kicked out of something. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> I don't know that it would be that shocking, but I, I do recall my, I want to say she had to been eighth grade English professor, maybe English teacher. And she kicked me out of her English class and she had my parents come down to explain why I wasn't a troublemaker or anything like that. So it didn't really make sense. And, uh, but she had my parents come down and had me sit in and I will never forget it. She, she sat behind her desk and she told my parents, I never know what kind of day my class is going to have until your daughter walks through the door. <laughs> and there is only one teacher in this classroom. She sits behind this desk. And for that reason, I am kicking your daughter out. And the thing, the irony of that particular situation, I think the reason why it's memorable, besides the fact that my mother loves to tell the story, uh, <laughs> the other reason I think it's so memorable is, is I, I was not a troublemaker, mm -hmm. but I would ask questions mm -hmm. and I would not take an, th th this whole authoritative type of discipline of I, you believe it because I said it. I never did that. Mm -hmm. When I see everything that's going on in the news, I don't fall for the headlines. Mm -hmm. I not only dive into what I'm seeing, but then I look for the articles that nobody is sharing. Right. I was that way when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And that when you come up against authority, when you are still young and you don't look at someone's age as being an advantage over you, that can be a challenge for a lot of people. So I guess... That would be one. The other thing is, is now that I, have, I understand better who I am and how I was built, my particular personality test, when you, I love Myers-Briggs and, and Kiersey and those guys and those, I think they've done the best in honing personality tests. And from very early on until now, I am what they call INTJ. Uh, it's for some, Myers-Briggs, Kiersey, they call it the mastermind. Others call it the architect, whatever you want to call it. When it comes to female, 
we are represent less than uh, 0.08 of the population. And so it's very, very rare for people to ever come in contact with a woman that's like me. So I am a bit of an enigma to most, but to me, I'm completely normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> my, my decision-making process makes complete sense to me, mm -hmm. but not necessarily to other people. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Um, that, that's fascinating. So you've been on this journey of understanding your presence and leadership for a while. My mother says it, it started at birth of me rejecting what people would say. And, and she says it because apparently whatever my due date was, it's sometime at the beginning of August, I decided to wait almost a full month to <laughs> arrive. And she said, the only thing I remember about your arrival, and I said, mom, is it possible that they got the dates off? And she said, no, no, we knew exactly when you were conceived. <laughs> the, the issue wasn't the conception date. The issue was when you decided you were ready. And, for, you know, they, there's, a, there's all these books that talk about the fourth trimester, right? And the fact that we, as humans, started coming out earlier and earlier and we come out like you know a, a full trimester ahead of when we're supposed to which is why babies do all the crying and they like the swaddling and yada 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 because it's their fourth trimester and so my mother said yeah you realized that early on and just decided you were going to stay until mm -hmm. you were ready so you were ready said, to do yeah and she says and you came out and i remember you were really hungry you were big i was nine pounds seven ounces because i stayed in there a minute and she said you came out you were so hungry and you were like this little chunk chunk. And then you decided that you didn't want my breast milk and just wanted to self suffice. And so you just sucked on your thumb and kept your same body weight for like three months. <laughs> and I said, if there was any description to describe who I am, that would be it. Is <laughs> I looked up and said, hmm, I'm gonna need you if I'm gonna drink that milk. So yes. let me figure out how I do this on my own. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I'm not looking she knew outside very early on. <laughs> exactly, so she knew very early on that she had a hand full mm -hmm. when, with me. And, and uh, I, I lived up to that, I will say that. <laughs> I lived up to it. <laughs> That's so funny because um, I can remember being um, tossed out of church as well as being tossed out of. Oh, let's not talk about getting church. an F, <laughs> getting an F in school because for me, I I, uh, I think it was tenth grade or eleventh grade, and I wrote a paper on Hitler and the rise of oh Hitler my because the assignment was is what is leadership, and I was Ooh. oh yeah I I remember Ooh. I was absolutely fascinated with how one person could rise and get yep. an entire nation yep. to do the things that were reported, you know? I just couldn't yep. understand that. And to me, <laughs> you know, now I say leadership is absence of values. Leadership is really about inspiring people to a common goal, to achieve a common goal. Well, absolutely. If it's, I think that one of my favorite quotes is, is if you're a leader and no one's following, you're just out for a walk. Yes. John Maxwell's quote. And, and that is, you know, I, I understand why that would have troubled the professor. <laughs> uh, but, but if you think about it, when you think about leaders, you have to put Hitler in that. 
It doesn't mean that he was a righteous leader. He clearly was not. He was a murderous leader, but he was, in fact, a leader. He absence, judgment, people, leadership. Absence, just oh about. my God. <laughs> yes. Absence, absolutely. values. A leader is anyone who can inspire people towards a common goal. Yes. And he did that probably and, and possibly better than anybody else while they were living. I mean, yeah. if you look at when you look at Jesus, he had very few followers when he was alive. Right. He gained followers after he ascended mm -hmm. and uh, and was raised from the dead. That's where the followers of Christianity come from. But when you look at people who were leaders when they were alive, mm -hmm. you have Hitler, you have Malcolm X, you have Martin Luther King. Like we, we can name right on you have Gandhi. Mm -hmm. We can name very clearly who those people are right. when they were alive. And, good, and bad, Hitler, or indifferent. Good, bad, or indifferent. And Hitler From a values has to be point on every. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, that's but exactly. Hitler has to be on every list. And, I, and I, that's I what I and, and I, I just couldn't understand that. And that was, you know, and, and that was a time when it was before we understood our history as people of color, black people, in America, because you know, then we didn't really talk about it. Um, yeah. as much the, the way we do now. And maybe I would have picked a different leader at the time, but at that point in time, from a child's point of view, from a 10th grader's point of view, 11th grader's point of view, who was the most impactful on shaping the world? And yeah. this was somebody who rose up from quote unquote poverty to take a nation and the world by storm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Let's move into your origin story. When did you know that you were a leader? You know, it's, it's interesting. So there are, there are a few touch points in my life when I knew I was a leader. I'd have to say the first, the first touch point would probably be that, that conversation with the English teacher that kicked me out because apparently I was leading her class and I, I wasn't trying to, I didn't know I was, mm -hmm. uh, but in her perception, in her mind, I was. Mm -hmm. The second I would have to say is uh, when I made the decision to leave home at 15 and that was a completely normal decision to me. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so for other people, when they hear that someone has left home at 15, they think, oh my God, you know, this kid is gone. They're doing drugs. They're doing this. They're doing that. And, and I'm, I'm probably the 15, 16, 17, 18 year old that never did any of that. To this mm -hmm. day, I've never tried a drug mm -hmm. and including marijuana, which mm -hmm. floors people mm -hmm. because I'm basically the only person I know like that. And yet I left home when I was 15 and I moved in with some friends in a, a in the projects in LA called Jordan Downs. And it's home of the Grape Street Crips. It was very comfortable to me because the kids there did not have parents that were telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. And what I was trying to run away from was adults telling me what to do without explanations that I bought into. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I left, I went and stayed there, but there's obviously many downsides. Yeah. So yes, I gained the no one is telling me what to do, but yeah, there <laughs> was some heartache there. As you can imagine, there's a lot going on in the projects. And so I left and, and I stayed with another friend and, and it was a, a similar situation of a lot of violence around and, and all the rest of that. So I decided to leave out of that situation. And when I was 17 going on 18, I moved into a homeless shelter 
And I was in a homeless shelter through my, my 18th birthday, I celebrated in a homeless shelter. And in Los Angeles, it's called uh, Covenant House. Mm-hmm. Fabulous organization. Absolutely incredible organization. And I would have to say my second touch point was when you, when you live in Covenant House, what they do, a, a brilliant model, is they have counselors. And you go out, you get a job, the counselors are where your money goes. And they help you to be able to save in order to get your own place. Mm-hmm. And so the, you get your money, it goes into them. The, the counselors, they get your money, your paychecks when it comes in, it goes into an escrow account of sorts. And then once you have saved up, I don't remember what the number was, maybe $5,000 or something like that. Then you go and you get your own place. And so I remember the very first day uh, that the night, the, the evening, we all sit around a campfire and there's a lot of us and we all sit around a campfire. You had to be at least 18 year old to be a covenant house and people would go out during the day and they would try to get a job. They would look for a job. And so on my first day there, they told me what the rules were and what we do and how we do it. And I was like, okay, I'm game. So I go out, I come back that night and we're literally sitting around this campfire and everyone is lamenting over the fact that they hadn't been able to get a job. And I kept silent because I went out and came back with four jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm 18 years old and you've got people that are there that are in their, you know, twenties, mid twenties and, and all the rest of this. And so that would be the second touch point. Mm-hmm. And then the third touch point that I think underscored it the most is I started my, my own company very early on, like literally right out of Covenant House. Mm-hmm. I started my own company and doing PR and special events because that's, a, that's the thing that came natural to me. And it was about relationships and being able to present and being able to organize. And I could do that very easily. And it didn't require a degree. Right. And so I, I went into that immediately. But then I was an entrepreneur my entire life from that point on. And uh, one of my investments was backing a a really well-known executive chef and and TV chef now and and helping him to uh, put together or really putting together his business plan and then go doing the capital raise and all the rest of the stuff so that he could have this restaurant in Beverly Hills. And and great person. He's ironically a, a part of Uncle Nearest now. And so it's a relationship that is, has, re, has remained over time. But when I was 26, I married my husband. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting down with my, with my former partner and his style, he was trained by French chefs. And mm-hmm. if you've ever seen any of those French shows, they throw pots, they curse everybody out. They're constantly, yeah, that's just their personality. And mm-hmm. even though he was black, he picked up those traits of the, mm-hmm. the, the that was the what leadership chef. looked like to him. That's what leadership looked like to him. Well, for me, I don't, I'm not bothered by any of that stuff. I don't go on emotional ups and downs with it. I could care less, but my husband, <laughs> <laughs> he, he came around and was like, that right there is nuts. And I remember sitting down with this guy when I was, uh, when I had gotten engaged and I said, I want you to know I'm going to marry him. And no man is going to be comfortable with another man speaking to their wife that way. And I remember his response not being, okay, I'll I'll get it together. His response was, you telling me I'm going to have a problem with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) I will never forget that conversation. 
equation. Exactly where I was sitting, what restaurant, what booth. I was never <laughs> in my life. As a matter of fact, I'm in his city right now in ATL, and, and I'm on to text him after this and go, do you remember this conversation? Do you remember your response? But but anyhow, we, we had this conversation. Needless to say, he did not make any changes. It did not go well. So I had to exit that partnership. And mm-hmm. when I did that, because it wasn't something I was anticipating or expecting, I didn't have what I was going to be working on next. I had been leading this, this, this restaurant brand and, and, and celebrity catering business to mm-hmm. a, a pretty massive rise in LA very quickly. And so I, had, I didn't have a focus on anything else. And so when that was literally overnight, I was out. Mm-hmm. Then I had to figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? And I decided that I wanted to learn what it was like to be an employee versus an employer. Meaning mm-hmm. I wanted to know what it felt like to not have the responsibility of people on my payroll. Right, right. And in my mind, employees, they got to go to bed at night and go to sleep and not have to, to be worried or concerned about anything. And I wanted to know what that felt like. Uh, unfortunately, the industry that appealed to me, <laughs> for what? whatever reason, hotels. Hospitality. <laughs> Nobody sleeps in hospitality. Uh, but the, but the, the third set touch point was I went into this industry wanting to know what it felt like to be an employee. And within three years, I was a general manager. Yeah. And all of a sudden, again, I had 50 employees and who I was responsible for them and their families. And it was after that point that I realized, number one, uh, even in a situation where I am trying to not be a leader, those who are in leadership are going to realize it and make me a leader anyway. Yes. That you was are, your gift the, is going to show no matter what you do. It's going to show no matter what. And the other thing was, is, is I looked at it and said, if I'm going to have the responsibility of the people then I want to have the responsibility of everything. So from that point forward, I went back to my life as an entrepreneur and have never looked back, but those would be my three touch points of, knowing and then further affirming mm-hmm. that I was just built this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, and, and accepting it. So there was some level of acceptance in that too. Um, and well, because by the time after, you got to the yeah. third one, yeah, after the third yeah. touch point, it was kind of like, okay, this Look. is this is the clay I'm, that I'm working with. <laughs> yes, this is and, one of those, you know, those shows where it goes, this is your Fawn Weaver, this is your life. That, yes. that third touch point was a, this is your life and just Mm -hmm. accept for the rest of your life, Mm -hmm. you are going to be a leader and that is what it is. And there is no running or escaping it. You are going to have the responsibility of being a leader and people who are not wired this way don't necessarily understand the responsibility and the burden that, uh, that comes with being wired this way. And Mm -hmm. so just accepting the fact that I was never going to have the opportunity, if you will, of not having to be concerned about other people's well-beings. Mm-hmm. It, that was just not going to be my life. Right. Right. So in that, you know, I can, I can hear some of the questions people have because we always hear about <laughs> those people who, quote unquote, were born leaders versus can a leader be made? Yeah. Um, and, it, and I'm one who doesn't believe that there's a, most questions are not either or questions. They're both and questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I, I don't and, and know that. if a leader can be made. I mean, I imagine, I imagine le- that a good number of leaders are made. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, there are so many books, there are so many podcasts, there's so many things that help you to become a leader. What I think is, is different 
possibly, but I don't know. I've never done the research on this. But if I were to guess, those who are born leaders versus being learned leaders probably second guess their uh, decisions less. I make a decision and I don't think twice about it. Right. Leaders who I have met that became leaders, were groomed into leadership roles and things of that nature, they wrestle with decision making. Mm -hmm. Looking that for that right answer. Yeah. Looking for the right answer. And then also, also wanting for someone to validate. Oh. I make decisions and I don't care if anybody validates them. As a matter of fact, if you don't validate them, I'm likely to dive in more. <laughs> <laughs> with both feet. <laughs> both feet. With both feet. Both feet. The, one, the decisions I make that nobody agrees with are the ones that I go in. Mm -hmm. and, and so, but that I think is a wiring. I don't think that that comes natural to people who are groomed or learn to be leaders, but I, I could be wrong. Somebody else would have to do that research. There's um, a body of research by Hartman that, it, and they, of course, there's an assessment on it that talks about inner directed people versus outer directed people. Um, and I think to me, and when I look back on the research and when I think about it, it's one of the assessments I actually use because it helps me understand where you at. And about his, his work was in the 60s or thereabout. But he said at that time, about 10%, 10 to 12% of the population is actually interdirected. And what that means is, is it's just what you're talking about. That interdirected people know, define the problem, go after the problem, and don't listen to other people. And in fact, when other people say it can't be done, what they hear is, you just haven't figured it out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 it's precisely, it's precisely what I hear is, is if someone says it can't be done, what I hear is, oh, that must mean that I'm the one to do it. Yes. Yeah. 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 You just haven't figured it out, but that doesn't apply to me. Exactly. Um, and, and they go forth and they find solutions that other people scratch their head at. Yeah. They also tend to be people who are relatively difficult to be around because everyone else is looking to other people to make the decisions, what you call it, I call it the rumination over decisions. Is it the yeah. right one? Wringing their hands. Oh, there's so many options. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do they da 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 da? But people who are interdirected are very good at living in the world of both and. Absolutely. And I will say this, this was the, the greatest gift of being an employee. I would not change it. That that six years in the hospitality industry, I would not change for anything in the world because what I learned in being an employee is how I wanted to be treated as an employee. There you go. So what I then took with me was how I wanted to be treated by my employer as an employee. That was the employer I was going to be. So mm -hmm. I, I will say that even though leadership was not learned for me, being a team player most certainly was. Yeah. And learning how to truly lead a team in which the entire team has not only input, but you are willing to allow someone who is, may not have as much experience or may not be a leader or whatever you want to call it. You, if they have the better idea, mm -hmm. you go with the better idea. So mm -hmm. in my company, I have what is essentially started with the San Antonio Spurs, but then Golden State Warriors picked it up and some others have now started doing it. And it was a good, better, best ball. 
And that just meant if you look at uh, San Antonio Spurs, the last championship that they won, if you go back and you look at the, their playoffs, what was so fascinating about those playoffs, and I remember just having so much fun watching it because they, Popovich, the, the coach, Pop did not let any of this good, better, best be shown during the regular season. And okay. so people weren't taking the Spurs seriously on that last championship. They absolutely didn't think they could do it. Mm -hmm. All the pundits said they were going to get knocked out quickly and yada, yada, yada. Then here comes the playoffs and none of the teams were ready for them to keep passing the ball mm -hmm. until it hit the person with the best shot. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if it was the star player. It didn't matter if it was Duncan. It didn't matter if it was Ginobili or any of those guys. They just kept passing the ball in such rapid succession that the other teams were so tired mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that they weren't able to defend. And mm -hmm. that's how I, that's how I lead is good, better, best. If mm -hmm. I am not the best shot, mm -hmm. I am not the one who makes it. Mm -hmm. Someone else on my team does. And I don't care what their position is. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's something I learned by being an employee. I don't know that I would have ever learned that if I had been an employer my whole life. So talk a little bit about, you know, because you've been on both sides now, so you can hear that what the chatter is going to be on both sides, whether you're the leader and what the leader says and how it's received by employees or the employee and what the leader, um, and I use air quotes in that, the person who's in the role of leadership. Um, yeah. um, has to hear or does hear. And one of the things, particularly now because we're in such um, uncertain times and volatile times here, when you're talking to the, your team and building your team after, you know, any business goes through cycles of good and, and failure or bad or missed opportunities, however you want to define it, how do you talk to them and keep them focused on what the prize is? that just because we didn't get where we thought we were going to be kind of this we were good but we we stopped at better we didn't get to best how do you keep them focused on shifting the ball or tossing the ball to the person who's in the best position this is going to sound like a san antonio spurs podcast in a second but <laughs> hey, you brought it up and i'm sure there's some folks on here that are haters of san antonio however <laughs> <laughs> Other I'm, folks ain't gonna know I, exactly. They ain't gonna know I what you're am, talking about. Listen, so I am not. Uh, so this this is if you go into the San Antonio, uh, their their uh, playing facility, their practice facility. What you will see on the walls is in every language of one whoever is playing on their team at that time, because they're known for international players coming in and 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 scouting them. So however many languages are on the team at that time there is only one phrase in the entire practice facility, and that is pound the rock. And mm -hmm. it's in every language of the players. Mm -hmm. Well, our, our number one uh, thing that we say in our company, and it's a part of our guiding principles, we have 10 guiding principles that truly do guide our business. And one of those is every day we pound the rock. And the, the idea behind that is, is, is it's, an, it's a analogy, a metaphor, whatever you wanna call it, but it is the story of a, of a man that would just pound on the rock with the chisel every single day and, it, and just keep blowing at it and blowing at it. And the idea is it is not the 101st blow that actually splits the rock. Mm -hmm. It really is the 100 blows that came before the 101st. Mm -hmm. So we celebrate the 101st, usually. Well, in my company, we celebrate all 100. Yeah. 
So even if we don't achieve, if we don't get where we wanted to go, and I can tell you, that's not often. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because I've also surrounded myself with entrepreneurs that are so competitive that not hitting their goals, not achieving what we set out to do is so rare in my company. But we also recognize that every day we pound the rock and that 101st blow will finally open up the rock. But for right now, we're just focused on the cracks. We're mm-hmm. hitting cracks. We're hitting cracks. And mm-hmm. And we celebrate the cracks, mm-hmm. not just the big blow. And so, what's, and so a, what's that an example is, of uh, celebrating the cracks? Uh, well, it just depends. So, for for our team, it is uh, we do a lot of of heaping praise and and bonuses and and things of that nature. And so, they're usually partly monetary, but partly just celebratory okay. and celebrating one another. Our team is really, really great at celebrating each other. No jealousy in there. It's really, if someone else outperforms, some, we're all really uh, giving that team our love, support, round of applause, all the rest of that stuff. And that competitive nature in our company, we use it to really fuel people, but it, we don't allow it to ever be jealousy. Ever. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so we celebrate. Each, each person who hits their goal, each person that succeeds, we genuinely celebrate those people. You know, something that people may or may not know about you is that at one time you were, um, in, you were a counselor and a therapist for relationships. Oh, as no, well. no, 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 no. Don't put that title on me. There's okay. many who tried to make me that okay. and tried to get me to give advice. And to this day, I really, I really don't. So I have been happily married 17 years in a couple of months and I love being married. And so through that process, I began sharing with people what I had learned from others who have been happily married 25 years or more. And I began gathering that information and sharing that information. But I decided very early on, I was not going to give my own personal advice in marriage until I had been happily married for at least a quarter of a century. I'm still eight years off from that. So ah. I'm not giving my own advice. Well, I, I, I hear what you're advice. saying. Yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying, but, or, and, so let me make it an and statement. <laughs> and your yes. focus on relationships and what is important between communication and transparency and celebration and the lack of jealousy and being able to sense that in a relationship period it sounds like it has to have carried over in your work life and how you've chosen to, to create a culture as well as leading other individuals. Absolutely. Well, we have one of our, uh, our guiding principles is radical transparency. Say, say, it, say it clearly, uh, speak up, speak out, uh, speak with truth and move on. And so we, you don't have, I think in a lot of corporations and a lot of businesses, you have people that backstab and talk about each other behind their back. Let me tell you what does not happen in my company, Mm -hmm. because if someone has a problem or a challenge with someone else, they will speak it directly to that person and only bring in assistance if they need it. But Mm -hmm. I haven't come across a, a more than maybe one time that someone has maybe twice where someone has needed someone to step in and sort of help with that process. But that radical transparency essentially means that 
we don't sweep anything under the rug, but we speak with respect. Mm -hmm. And that comes from my marriage. Mm -hmm. We do not argue at all. And we mm -hmm. haven't in 17 years, which is why I wrote the argument free marriage. It, it, but we are both very strong willed people. Mm -hmm. And we both have absolute opinions on how things should be done, how we would like to see things done. But we spend a lot of time standing in each other's shoes. And the respect that we have for one another, the honoring that we have for one another causes us to want to make sure that we're seeing things from the other person's perspective, not just our own, and that we are being so honest in how we communicate, but doing that with absolute respect and reverence of one another. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's in my marriage and it's also in my company. So when you're thinking about hiring someone, how do you know they can live with that value, that principle? Oh. Easy. So not only do we have 10 guiding principles, you can't even submit an application to my company without having read the, the 10 guiding principles of which this is one of them. And it's not just, I know a lot of people do guiding principles that are, that's just like a sentence and, and like 10 sentences, which that is what we have. But then we have a separate section that explains and goes deeper into the meaning of every single line. So the mm -hmm. every every day we pound the rock or, you know, we have built a company of radical transparency. They read all of that and they will not submit an application unless they agree with our company principles because we're very clear in saying this is who we are mm -hmm. and this is who everybody in our company is. And so before we ever get an application, we already know. And most of the people, when I interview them, that's one of the first things they say to me is how amazing it was for them to read and see so very clearly who our company was before they ever submitted an application or applied. But beyond that, we have our 10 guiding principles. And then we have 10 hiring principles that are based on the 10 guiding principles. And for every single person, if they do, if it is not a checkbox of all of the hiring principles, they never make it to me for the final interview. Mm -hmm. They get ruled out before it ever gets to me. Okay. So everybody, everyone before you is involved in making sure they hold to the principles of the company. Absolutely. And the principles of the company were created collectively with the team members who were a part of the company early on. So mm -hmm. a part of our first, I want to say 20 team members, mm -hmm. we created the, the guiding principles together. So mm -hmm. there's such a buy-in from all of us that have been here since the beginning. We haven't lost anybody. We've continued to grow, but no, nobody leaves Uncle Nearest. <laughs> we've, mm -hmm. got, we've got a great crew that has continued to, to grow rapidly, but we haven't lost, with the exception of, of one that I had to let go, not because they didn't follow the principles, but just it was an, it was an energy culture thing. But outside of that, we've, we've never had anybody leave mm -hmm. to resign. And, and so we have a group of people who created a company culture based on principles that we created together and we hold everybody to it, including myself. So um, this is fabulous. And I think because you're, you know, you started this way, one of the issues that I often run into is companies who are scale, who have scaled and the cohesiveness that you're talking about at the, at the, um, smaller stages of staffing and whatnot don't always go to the larger stages when yeah. you start taking on a lot of people because you know at some point it is about delegating 
um, and you have to depend on your people to do the right job, et cetera, et cetera. Have yeah. you thought about going forward and thinking about how the company is going to evolve, how it's going to grow? Because, you know, as, as we talked offline, everybody and their mama wants some of that 1820. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fans, yes. I got it in, okay? Yes. <laughs> but yes. also, the, you know, the, the story, the history, the meaning, the pride, the symbolism of Uncle Nearest is one that is so inviting and so encouraging. You know, in, in many ways, you, you have your own corner, in my opinion, of how we, how we create the story of America. And, you know, it, it, it sits almost right along with the Black Panther story, right? Yeah. That's well, how I empowering that... it is for people to see this. How do you Absolutely. carry that forward? How do you see carrying that forward? Well, I, I can tell you how we are carrying it forward and what we have been doing as we have been, as we've been growing. I mean, you're talking about a company that is going into its ninth quarter of triple digit gains. And so this is not, I mean, we've been rapidly growing, but what I did very early on is I put people in leadership and began delegating almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's those team members that are in leadership, my five VPs, my one senior VP, that they really are the ones that I make sure continue to sort of hold the line in mm-hmm. terms of our guiding company principles. And as we bring in more leaders, it becomes their responsibility to also make sure that our company maintains its culture. I think that where the culture gets lost a lot is when the CEO, the person who is at the top, begins to remove themselves from the process because it's getting so big. Mm -hmm. And they end up having people come into their company that they've never met. Let me tell you what is not going to happen in our company. I don't care how big we get. That final interview is always going to be with me. And Mm -hmm. that's because by the time the interviewee gets to me, they've already gone through two, if not three interviews. Mm -hmm. And all of those people have agreed this person fits the culture. This person, you know, fits who we are and all the rest of that. By the time it gets to me, the person has essentially been hired and it's their job to lose. They don't necessarily know that. But we know that if if they get to me, it's their job to lose. And my questions are very rarely about their background in work. My mm-hmm. questions are always about their background in life, their family, their thought process outside of work. And what that ends up doing is, is it lets me know if there are any red flags that did not uh, get flagged in the interview process because they were focused on work. So you, okay, because so you are really interviewing for character, and the way I, that that character molds itself in a person's decision making. Yep. Yep. I am. I am. I am the keeper of the culture. Okay. And so it's coming to me. I am determining if they are a culture fit. Mm-hmm. And and I have to tell you, my because we have the ten hiring principles. I, there have only been maybe three or four times that I have gone back to the VP or the senior VP and said, listen, I know that you like this person. It is always going to be your choice Mm -hmm. to determine if you want to hire someone, but here is my red flag. And, and I can tell you that none of my VPs have ever hired anyone who I had a red flag on, which is, which is nice, but it is their decision. I always give it to them as this is your decision, but this is what I see as a red flag that it may not even come up over the next three years but you're going to be dealing with this in year four, year five. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 
I would rather, and this is just something that we have been adamant about in our company, is I would rather hold a position open and have that shortfall than to put the wrong person in that position. So I've held positions open, I kid you not, for two years. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was a necessary position. It was a needed position, but I would rather step in and do the job Mm -hmm. than for my team members to put the wrong person into it that is not going to uh, that is not going to be a good fit for our culture. Well, some people would say, you know, uh, there's other leaders of companies to do it differently. And everybody gets to, you know, it's your company, you get to do whatever you want. So I'm Absolutely. not knocking that, you know, um, theirs is right, yours is wrong, yours is wrong, theirs is right. I don't want I don't want to get this into a judgment argument. But there are a lot of books, there are a lot of leaders who will say um, that you you know, you hire the person, the best candidate that you get. And if they don't work out, you fire quickly. Now, I, yeah, well, th that I do believe in. Mm -hmm. I do believe if you made the wrong decision, you get rid of them fast. Mm -hmm. the, the only, the only person who uh, has, is, is not with our company, I got rid of quickly because mm -hmm. I had a, I had a, a, I wouldn't call it a red flag. I had a yellow flag okay. in, in the interview process. And I shared the, the yellow flag, but it wasn't red for me. Mm -hmm. It was, it really was a, a warning. It caused me pause, but it was one of those positions I had left open for so long mm -hmm. that I thought, my God, we got to get somebody in it. And we did it. And I realized very quickly, wrong move. Mm -hmm. And they were gone. Mm -hmm. So I do believe if you put the wrong person in it, but, and this is, Every company is different, mm -hmm. but in my company, I do not want to see turnover. A lot mm -hmm. of companies think that turnover helps a company to grow, that you get new energy in and new energy is what creates, you know, ingenuity and yep. innovative and opportunity. I don't necessarily agree with that, not for their companies, but for mine. Mm -hmm. In my company, I am very clear in looking for entrepreneurs who specifically want to be with a company for a career right. or at the very least for a decade where they want to see themselves be able to grow and move into new opportunities within the same company. So I will not hire those, uh, what do you, those, I don't want to call them firecrackers, those, the, those folks who literally go in, they do a job so incredibly well. I mean, they knock it out of the park. They are incredible, but then they move every 18 months. Yeah. That's not the candidate I'm looking for. Right. It doesn't mean they're not a great candidate. If you need somebody to come in and put some jet fuel on and, and light a fire or what, that's, that is your, that is your uh, decision. That's mm -hmm. not who I'm looking for. And mm -hmm. so because I, I appreciate people, and mm -hmm. I believe that people and teams are the lifeblood of, I believe it of every company, but I will just speak to my own. It is the lifeblood of my company beyond product, beyond consumers, beyond everything. If you look at the order in which I pay most attention, it always starts with my, my family, then my team. And then we go to everything from there, the product, the consumer, the, you know, all the rest of that stuff. But I start with my team. So because of that, I have created a family environment in which I don't want to see a lot of turnover. Okay. And that's my personal preference. And I mean, if you look at our numbers, you can't really argue with it being a good decision. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> for my, and, and, for my yeah. company. Oh, for yeah, yeah, company. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that really is the, you know, the measure of success. I often tell people, particularly HR people and, and executives like yourself, that performance is really what are the outcomes. 
And if you're not getting the outcomes that you think you should be getting, then there's something wrong with your pipeline. There's something wrong with the way you set it up. The process isn't working and you have to be big enough. You have to be smart enough. You have to be humble enough Yes. to sit back and say, you know what? I need to check to see what the process is before I decide that the goal is not the right one. Yes. Because oftentimes it's because we didn't think through the process well. We wanted to shortcut it. Like you were saying, too many, too many times we write values and principles and we put nice slogans and we have our marketing department, you know, figure it out. And then the senior team has it, but they, they have difficulty to live it. Yeah. To live it every day because as a leader, people might hear your words, but they really watch your feet. Right, right, right. Are you talking about people behind their backs or are you, when you say transparency, are you doing that? Are you, when there's a problem, are you willing to sit down and have a conversation with it? Do you say, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And the, and the, I, I think when that, that humility is so important, are you able to say you were right? I was wrong, even though you're a part time employee. Mm-hmm. It, you, do you know what? Like, mm-hmm. are you able to look at folks no matter where they are on the org chart? I don't. I actually don't have an org chart that goes top to bottom. So mm-hmm. our our org chart confuses people all day long, uh, because of the equality that we have in our company. But mm-hmm. I can tell you that if a per, I mean, I have literally been overruled by a part time brand ambassador who had a better idea than I did, mm-hmm. and I'm so okay with that. Mm-hmm. because best idea wins. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who came up with it. Mm-hmm. It, it. What's best and what's feasible and how can we make it happen? So come yep. with a good idea. Absolutely. Don't and come, come with, with grenades. Vetted. Yes. Come I was going to say, vetted. yes. Don't come with grenades. <laughs> yes. You, yes. you need to be able to talk through it enough that we all can see how it works. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so thank you for your time. So I just have a couple other questions and this takes it off to a different way. This is the, you know, this is my third season. And so one of the things I said is, is that, you know, my leaders and my guests come on and they talk about, you know, the big pictures and how they live. And you so beautifully described how your vision of how to run a company trans translates into everyday operation top to bottom sideways the whole thing but if you had to say some things about how you how you think about other things so here's the questions nothing is impossible fill in the blank nothing is impossible if if you're me when i see that there is a problem i naturally say there is a problem. We need a solution. What is the solution? Everybody on board, help me come up with the solution. The one thing that burns me more than anything else is people who do not uh, take responsibility, those who lack accountability. I don't care if you make a mistake, but if you make the mistake, own the mistake on your own without me having to point it out to you and get it fixed. And if I had to tell, if I had a magic wand and could tell someone who is hurting something that would help them, what would it be? You are loved, not because of what you have done, but because of who you are and because of who you made you. And 
the one who made you is love and you are loved. Thank you. Thank you. So um, people are going to want to know how they can learn more about you. What would you tell them? Yeah, you can find, you can find my company all throughout social media and online at Uncle Nearest. It's N-E-A-R-E-S-T and Uncle obviously spelled the traditional way. And for me personally, I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm not on Facebook as much. Instagram, it's easy to find me. I think I'm positive I'm the only fawn weaver with a, a blue check mark. So I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for sharing your wisdom with the people who are on the call and listening to this particular podcast. Uh, everyone, as, as you know, this is given by love and the people who say yes to being on the podcast do this from a spirit of generosity and humility. Please show them a little love. Share this with your friends. If you liked it, do so. If you didn't like it, share it because I guarantee it will start a conversation that will change the results that you have in front of you. With that, Fawn, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Denise. I appreciate it. All right, guys. This is another one, and it's a wrap. Talk to you soon. Bye. Wow, that was just incredible. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Music was provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting me. And remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast provider whether it's Apple, Google Play, or C-Suite Radio. Wherever you're listening to my voice, subscribe so you don't miss an episode of Closing a Gap with Denise Cooper. As always, let me know how you're doing, what you're facing, and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap, creating a pathway from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.